Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors, Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. Just <clears throat> trying to do the Nazgul scream because it's October, you fuckers, you fucking brutes. It's fucking October, which means our annual two to three to four thousand motherfucking times of episodes this month. <laughs> We're excited, can you tell? <laughs> We're excited. <laughs> Jody Mabrut. Uh-huh. Our very first Halloween October Autumn Country Festival podcast episode. What are you drinking? I have in my hand, it's a bottle of Southern Tier Brewing Company Pumpkin, no, Pumpkin. There's no second P. Pumpkin Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Oh, that is one of the best pumpkin beers ever. I am so glad I bought this and had it on hand for today. I could not think of a more appropriate beer to have for our first October episode and for this particular subject of this episode. Oh, that's brilliant. Of course. Because <laughs> it's us. <laughs> nah, the, the, that is literally one of my top two pumpkin beers for fall. That and... Weyerbacher's Imperial Pumpkin are my two favorite pumpkin beers for the fall. I have to say for an 8.6 ABV, uh, this is very smooth. It, it is dangerously smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would you like to know what I'm drinking? Yeah. What are you drinking? What are you drinking? What are you drinking? <laughs> tell me. Tell me, you fucker. Tell me. <laughs> if you're curious as to why I'm a bit tipsy, in a few days... Our next episode will explain why, but... Yes, no need to be redundant. No need to be redundant. Exactly. Wait, shit. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. President, in the dictionary under redundant, it says see redundant? Fine, you got I, me on that one. On. <laughs> I will say, if I was at home, I would also be drinking either what Jody is or the Weyerbacher I mentioned. Maybe oh. something else, but... When but you're not at home. I'm not at home. And our next episode, like a special October episode, you'll see in a few days. So I will just say I'm drinking a beer called the Ravine, which is a Imperial Irish Stout based Ooh. off of a Ray Bradbury thing in both Halloween Tree and Dandelion Wine. So it's even more appropriate than mine. 50-50. Yeah. My Mine is more on the nose, but yeah. yours is more apropos. <laughs> yeah. <Hey. laughs> I I know it's pronounced apropos, but I was trying to make it rhyme. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that was part of the reason I did did did, did the yay. <laughs> <laughs> For this Halloween Blitzkrieg, <laughs> what, what did we do last year? Vampires. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. yeah, next year, yeah. I'm not sure, but this year will be authors. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which we have a buttload of bees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do we have? Brad, Bradbury, Blackwood, and beers, right? Beers, yes. We're going to start with Bradbury. Ooh. Yay! And partially... Because we have actually mentioned this particular book several times in the past two years, because this is, of course, the beginning of our third year. Yep. 
And that is The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury. Yes. Excellent. Excellent book. Tis. Uh, when we get around to redoing our Q&A, Jody has some very good ideas on that because we haven't released them. And, and I will admit, Bradbury is not only in my top five. I think if I had to pick a favorite author, he would be my favorite author. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yes. Roll the R's like a vampire. <laughs> I'm giving up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've mentioned it several times that I would like to start with a small introduction, which is the introduction to the book, and you will see why his imagination strikes me, if that is okay with you, my good sir. Yes, very much so. It was a small town by a small river and a small lake in a small northern part of a Midwest state. There wasn't so much wilderness around you couldn't see the town, but on the other hand, there wasn't so much town you couldn't see and touch and smell the wilderness. The town was full of trees and dry grass and dead flowers, and now that autumn was here, and it was the afternoon of Halloween. Very nice. I love this. So I, I've mentioned in a few episodes, this is how I found Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. It was published in 1972, and I discovered it my eighth grade year when we took a little trip. I went to a Catholic school called Sacred Heart, and we would hike our asses down with Mr. Cook, our teacher, to the Clinton Public Library, and just, you know, we're kind of looking around. Uh, pick a book out. I'm like, oh, whatever, you know. Yeah. And I saw the name on a spine that said the Halloween tree. I'm like, well, I love Halloween. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Pulled it out, and there were boys hanging from the monster kite, the pterodactyl kite. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what the hell? And I, I opened it, and I read that first paragraph that I just read, and it had me. Yeah. And it has literally been an annual read for the most part. Let's see, well, eighth grade, this time of year, I would have been 13, not quite 14. So 35 years, I have read it almost every year. Very nice. I've not been reading it quite that long, but <laughs> but I, I do enjoy it. I haven't read it the last couple of years. Um, well, I didn't read it last year and probably won't this year unless my niece brings the book back because it's <laughs> But I I, uh, I do love it. It's, it's an awesome book. And uh, his writing style is just fantastic. Very, yeah, very few authors can, can kind of grab you like that. The imagery that he can evoke with words is is phenomenal. So I started it when I was 13, which is just a bit older than the age of the boys in the book. Mm-hmm. And I read it almost every year, and I never fail to go back and relive what it's like to be not like like that very quite prepubescent range of what it's like to to love Halloween. Yeah, yeah, he had a, he had an act for for capturing that feeling. He did. Uh, that goes with a, a quote I have from Ray himself, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, um, but it's writing a story should be sensual for all senses. Nice. Yeah, and he doesn't mean sensual in a sexual way. He means grab you by the ears and the nose and the mouth and the, the scent, the smell, the taste, the hearing, the sight, the feel. Yeah, very uh, nice. So should we give him a brief recap of the story? Yeah. Okay. So a group of boys on Halloween night are going to go trick-or-treating. Uh-huh. 
big group of them, going to be nine. And this is where Ray Bradbury's writing really comes in because bing, bang, zoom, door slam, costumes on, pumpkins carved, scythe grabbed. It's just fast and zippy and to it. Yeah. They all meet up, realize they're missing one of them, which is kind of the leader of the group, Pipkin. Yeah. And Pipkin tells them to start without him. He looks kind of odd. So they all run off and trick or treat. And they go to where Pipkin told them to meet, which was a house, a haunted house. As Ray Bradbury says, a boon, a positive boon on Halloween night. Uh-huh. So they go across the ravine. They go to the Halloween house, the haunted house. And there they meet Mound Shroud, a very <laughs> kind of like a deathly vampire type of facial body thing. <laughs> they get there and they see the house. Around back is the Halloween tree, the name of the story where it's this huge tree with jack-o'-lanterns with all shapes and sizes hanging off of it. Uh-huh. As they're there, Moundshroud talks to the Moor and invites them to find out the history of Halloween. And they say, well, we can't go without Pipkin. Well, here comes Pipkin coming across the darkness when something swoops in and gets him. So Moundshroud offers to teach the boys the history of Halloween and save Pipkin altogether. And of course, they're all like, yeah, yeah, for Pip. Yeah, woo. And off they go into the undiscovered country where they go into the past. They see things in Egypt and Greece and Rome and Ireland, France, England, Mexico, and it's wonderful. And I won't spoil it with the ending because it's not a super long book. Uh-huh. But you'll get to hear about the history of Halloween. You'll see if they help Pipkin or not. But we thought we would go into some of the background of the story, some of the context, how it began, why it began, what happened, and just some of her thoughts. Yeah. So as a heads up, I have a few pages of notes, and I want to give a little bit of credit that I got my notes not just from reading the Halloween Tree story and all of his October Country writings that will be discussed both here and in future. Zen and the Art of Writing, Ray Bradbury, a critical companion, conversations with Ray Bradbury, Bradbury Speaks, Bradbury Writers of the 21st Century, Becoming Ray Bradbury, Unbound, and specifically the special edition of The Halloween Tree that I don't own because I don't have 400 extra dollars to spare, but I can get from my university library. <laughs> nice. When you hear some of these, it's, it's mostly Jody and I fanboying, but you will hear some weird cuts, and those are where I got these things from. Cool. Uh, and a quick note on how it goes with past episodes. Mm-hmm. We have discussed August Derleth. Okay. Jody specifically has brought him up more than I, even I have because he knows a wee bit more than I do about it. But August Derleth, his Arkham House published Ray's first book, Dark Carnival. And Ray talked about his admiration of August quite effusely yeah. in, in many of his things. I have to admit, I don't know a whole lot about August Derleth either, but I just... I you know, know that he was involved with uh, a lot of the pulp writers. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you, yeah. Especially, yeah, especially Lovecraft and uh, uh, Robert E. Howard. All right, so I will start my notes as usual, and okay. Jody will interrupt me as usual. <laughs> yeah. I'll even try to make it relevant. You typically do. Typically. Typically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I will start with Ray's inspirations. Okay. His Aunt Neva, short for Nvidia, 
was a huge influence on his love of Halloween and October country, which is his terminology for that wonderful Halloween, October time of year and the people who love it. Nice. She was a costume designer who helped him set up a Halloween party when he was eight, would read him stories from authors such as Poe, and encouraged his imagination as well as getting him to love things in animation, which we'll talk about in a further episode, such as Disney's The Skeleton Dance. Oh, yeah. But that's, I mean, if you read the background, he has so much inspiration between the electric, uh, uh, you know what? No, screw y'all. You're not paying us. <laughs> Go read those fucking books. <laughs> my, my next part was going to be his original plan. Uh, for the Halloween tree, it was a script that he worked up. He was going to work with Chuck Jones on an animated feature, wasn't he? That is exactly correct, my good sir. <laughs> uh, I just I, I I just looked it up on Wikipedia the other day. So, uh. they, they are not incorrect. Yeah, uh, Halloween Tree was initially a screenplay, and he started writing it in '67 into '68 to be a response to Charles Schultz's Charlie Brown, The Great Pumpkin, which was released in 1966. Hmm. Like he he really liked Schultz's work. Yeah, um, but not having the great pumpkin appear, he thought took away from the imaginative power of the Halloween tradition in our culture, and that actually irritated him <laughs> because you don't bring something up and never show it. It's like, according to Ray, shooting Santa Claus in the chimney. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, you don't promise a thing and then not have him show up. And Ray said, the purpose of art is to release tension, which means you should actually have the thing you're talking about happen. True. After he watched The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, he had lunch the next day with uh, Charles, Chuck Jones, like Mm -hmm. Cody said, and found out that Chuck Jones was also irritated in the same way because it went against the spirit of Halloween. For anybody who doesn't know, and if you don't, I'm very disappointed in you. (laughs) Chuck Jones was an animator who worked for uh, Warner Brothers, mostly known for the the Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies cartoons starring Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and and all those guys. He's also the guy who animated How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes, he did. That's when we're talking about Chuck Jones. That's the guy we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, Chuck Jones is irritated. They got together. And in like those day or two in between ray bradbury had actually painted a little picture and ray's a good artist he does a good job he painted this picture of a halloween like an autumnal tree with all the autumnal yellow red leaf colors as hobbs would say from calvin and hobbs it's like applesauce bing zang boom that, that's not my notes. So I'm not sure I got that quote right. <laughs> but he, but he, painted, he made this picture of a Halloween, an autumn tree with leaves that had fallen into the shape of a human figure with the legs and the arms and head and what's not. Ah, what's not? Oh, I, I was just taking a drink. Uh, good good uh, timing. Good, good timing, yeah. So he took this picture and took it to Chuck Jones the next the time when they had lunch. And Chuck was ex- static about it awesome but part of the original plan had to do with mound shrouds use of masks throughout the book 
that was to use the act of trick-or-treating as fable cultural history. Nice. I mean, I think at every version of the book, every edition, they have this, but I know in the two I have, there you see masks at the beginning of each chapter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And those are masks that represent this cultural history, but also that Ray loved. And again, I mispronounced this in a previous episode. I will do it again. But Joe Mugniani's work, Mm -hmm. and that is who did the masks. And that is a whole, like, it's not just because, ooh, masks. No, it's a theme throughout the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the artist, um, whose name I can't pronounce either, um, Uh, it's, it, the artwork is awesome in the book. Oh man, no kidding! It's yeah, it's not it's not just the masks that he has at the beginning of every chapter. That it's actually illustrated throughout the book. Certain scenes. Yeah, he's got mound shroud and the the pterodactyl kite, and yes, yeah, yes, and they're kind of like woodcut type of things too. So it's they, nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. So to continue. Mm-hmm. On a related note, his short story, Homecoming, that would be part of a From the Dust Return, which incidentally is the book I am currently reading for my Hallow Read that I started at the brew pub earlier, <laughs> uh, anchored Mademoiselle. So Mademoiselle is a American magazine type of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to put that Homecoming was in Mademoiselle and the first ever Halloween issue in 1946 and was illustrated by Charles Adams of the Adams family fame, the guy who actually created the Adams family. Yes. Nice. Not surprised that, yeah, I'm not surprised that they, I won't say work together, but that there was a connection there. Yeah. Those are, I mean, I love his work with Joe, but with, Mm -hmm. You know, Charles Adams, that would have also been kick-ass. Oh, now, geez. there there are some overlappings. I yeah. don't know if we'll get to it this time. Just not as much as we'd like. Yeah. Right, I'll move on. Okay. Uh, the first draft has a duo of main boys. So if you've read the story, there are multiple boys in it. Uh-huh. Uh, but the main, the first draft had two boys, which was Jim Ingersoll, which is a different name than in the book which actually has more of an overlap with something wicked this way comes, which is a episode later this month, Uh uh-huh. uh, Jim and Bert and not Bert and Ernie. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified. Uh, I am. I So if, if you read some of the background, Jim and Bert, I mean, this is really awesome stuff. I don't even know. I've got like some quotes here. I'm not sure. Like, for example, why said Bert? All those leaves, they fell in other times, a hundred years, a thousand years, five thousand years ago. He's made of mummy flakes from Egypt and witch burnings from France. And when he first started writing this, it was just as floral as it is now, but it mm-hmm. had Jim and Bert. <laughs> and so this initial eight-page draft led to the original artwork. And some of this, of course, we talked about the dates. But he had actually started a wee bit of this in 1959. And then the whole Charles Schultz, great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, changed it. So when he started this, Mound Shroud was first called Billy Bones. Okay. Uh, and of course, Mound Shroud's full name in the final draft was Carapace Clavicle 
mound shroud. And, you know, to this day, even reading it silently to myself in my head, I want to mispronounce that as moon shroud. Huh. I don't I, know why. <laughs> I could just, moon, moon, moon shroud kind of flows a little bit easier than mound shroud, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe it was my overlap of Catholicism and Tolkien that uh -huh. mound shroud like clicked with me, but I can totally see moon shroud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I get it. Mound shroud. I, I, I know what he's saying, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I still have a problem with that, even though I know <laughs> what it is. In a little bit, we'll get to the fact that a certain Star Trek actor voiced this character in an animated cartoon, but would you like to k take a guess? as to who Bradbury wanted to voice Mount Shroud until they couldn't work out the schedule. Mm. I'll give you a hint. There's a big, big overlap with Heavy Metal and Lord of the Rings. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. <laughs> yep, he totally wanted Christopher Lee, but the scheduling wouldn't allow. So he got Leonard Nimoy, which, which is also awesome. To do oh, yeah. Now yeah. Mount Shroud in an animated version. Nice. Uh, so for more tidbits, the Gothic mansion that Mount Shroud inhabits <laughs> is based off of Ray's great-grandfather's home on Sheridan Road in Waukegan, Illinois, which is where I'm at, but it's been torn down. Oh. I, I, yeah, I was kind of irritated. Uh, but the ravine was also based off of a ravine in his hometown, which is the... Irish style I'm drinking now and that I visited two times earlier today. <laughs> and you'll hear in the next episode how spooky that motherfucking ravine is. Yeah, um, I, I, I mentioned in, in, in the next episode <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that when, when I saw the pictures of it, I didn't, it wasn't how I picture it reading the book. So I don't know that he was, I, I mean, I know it's the same ravine, but I don't know if maybe he's embellishing it a little bit more i will say that well there are a couple i was gonna say go, going by what you've told me it doesn't sound like he did it just i i i pictured something a little more narrow and steep sided and there uh -huh. are some very steep like if it, it hadn't been okay yeah it, there are some steep parts and it is spooky feeling and i okay so i visited it twice today and once was to just see it and walk the little bradbury park things the second time, because I had time, was to go off the path because I was going to kick myself in the ass later if I did not go off the path. Mm -hmm. And it's it's creepy to begin with. And you smell the decay of the earth. And as you go off the path, you feel a little unsettling. And I don't know if it's because of my love of Ray and the books I've read that describe the ravine or it's what it feels like to this day or both. Hmm. Okay. But yes, I will say there is a creepy, spooky vibe. Awesome. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, also things that switched a bit, Tom, uh, who is, uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about this in a minute when we actually geek out a bit more. These are the factual notes. Yeah. Uh, Tom, the main protagonist, was going to have an older brother named Skip, who was actually going to lead the band but was on that verge of becoming an adolescent and thinks Halloween trick-or-treating is kid stuff. 
because ah. yeah, Bradbury was all into exploring how children become adults, which is another motif that he had in something wicked this way comes. Yes. Get into that in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Skip was going to join in with a jack-o'-lantern head, but it, it was dropped. That would, yeah. D- depending how they do it, yeah. Yeah. The initial thing was with working with Chuck Jones, but when he finished it in 1968, MGM had closed, just closed its animation studios. So yeah. he, he turned it into a book instead. Okay. Yeah, and I know um, earlier talking about Chuck Jones, I said he worked for Warner Brothers. He he left Warner Brothers. I don't remember exactly when, but I think it was a, because I think Warner Brothers had closed their animation studio, and I think that's why he left there. But yeah, he had he had gone to work at MGM. Right. Yeah, Warner Brothers, and there's some overlap with Chuck Jones, which I don't have written down. But yes, yeah, that is correct. I I just don't have the dates. Yeah. I yeah. I, didn't know we were going <laughs> to. Well, I did, I did have more than that because, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. Thank you, my good sir, for making yeah. me look like a jackass. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Ray turned it into a book, and here's where he added Pipkin, which is a rarely seen protagonist that is essential to the book. Mm-hmm. He added it as a dramatic hook. Yep. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I would like to bring up some deviations from the book first. Okay. So if you've read the book, you will read a section. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, ooh, I've read it. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you going further with that? No, not really. <laughs> jerk. <laughs> ooh, we should do an episode on the jerk. <laughs> ooh, that'd be fun. We've already discussed it once or twice. <laughs> yeah, we have. So the devil typo if you've read the book you'll see about halfway somewhere in the book he talks about a devil mm-hmm. it's a, a holdover costume from the screenplay which included other costumes like a bull and a priest and a king and it somehow got through ray and all the editors and <laughs> ended up in there as a little devil costume thing and like i, I swear five or six times I read the book. I had to go back and try to figure out where it came from until I read the extended, big, expensive version that I can't afford to buy uh, that I got from the library. And it explained this. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, just a holdover. And uh, when we talk about the characters in a second, Tom was a mummy. The protagonist was a mummy. And Ray or Raymond was a skeleton which changed to Tom Skelton, who was a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, Salwin, which was a druidic sacrifice, small beast turned back into humans and then blown away into the morning sky. The initial draft was a little more evocative, but they had to condense it a bit for the final book. Okay. I always felt like that chapter was too short. Exactly, yes. They did condense it because they it was going on a bit long for a what was nominally a children's preteen teenager book. Yeah, I I I, I, uh, I was going because I didn't know if you were going to go chapter by chapter, but <laughs> I, I was not. But we can. Well, no, we don't have to. Um, I, I just I, I was going to say that. Well, are you are you coming back to that section of the book? Yes. Okay, then I'll save it for that. Cool. 
uh, there is a section where mound shroud calls the gargoyles in the initial, but in the final, the boys call them with mound shrouds. Blessing, uh, he suggests it, and the devil yeah. boy, which has changed, sees the stone gargoyle devils and says, "That's why I'm dressed like this," and and that's where the devil comes in. Yeah, and uh, Satan was actually used at one point. Actually, Satan, not just the devil, but Satan. But it was changed by Knopf Publishing to make it more juvenile friendly. Okay. And that was the reason for most of the changes. So I, I, I get it, you know, yeah. make it good for kids. Uh, they changed Fred Fryer from Devil, Satan, to the Beggar. And they switched the Beggar, JJ, to the Ape Man. Okay. And the Devil reference in Chapter 5 was <laughs> inadvertently retained. Mm-hmm. And... There is a reference to the girl dressed as a witch. Uh, so originally it was a girl. Well, kind of. It depends on how much you read. Yes, there's a reference to the witch in the initial. But then there's also talk of girls dressed as witches that are trick-or-treating across the street. And there's that one tiny little reference. And I don't know if Ray ever finished that thought until he went back to the final and just made them all boys. Well, because I know I haven't seen the animated that they did make, but I do know that they changed. They got rid of most of the characters, <laughs> and and they made one of the ones they kept a, a girl. Uh, I don't. That's really about all I know. That's okay. I'll I'll have a note on that in a second. But yeah, okay. That's actually most of my notes. <laughs> okay. Uh, but what you said a second ago was that when they shortened a few little bits, the initial draft did spend more time in Ireland with beggars and they had a pumpkin headed costume which was initially like i said tom's older brother skip but then uh moved on to another boy when they decided not to use skip and uh they saw a jack lantern there on a horse with a turnip lit head nice yeah they go into america where the irish bring halloween including devil's night nice would have been cool but yeah there's this little bit between there and when they go into mexico which was not the not the final chapters, but the penultimate historical chapter. Yeah. Uh, other than the bull, there's a bull. Uh, he was dressed that way because of cavemen, and it kind of comes through when they go into the basement at towards the end. Okay. It's just it's interesting to see how they they changed what they yeah. needed. Yeah. Cool. I wanted to mention a few tiny things. Okay. Uh, other versions, the Colonial Radio Theater performed the Halloween Tree as a dramatized radio play. And it's good. I have it. And I have the Something Quicker This Way Comes adaptation that was done by the same things that, uh, depending on what you read, either Ray was involved with or he approved. Uh, I'm leaning towards approved. Uh, but it, it's it's good. It's it's not bad at all. They're, they're decent. They're actually even better than decent. They're quite good. And there's an animated version from 1994, which won the Emmy mm-hmm. for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program. And uh, as mentioned, Man Shroud was voiced by Leonard Nimoy. So when I yes. said Star Trek earlier, it was yep. Spock. And you had mentioned that they actually changed the witch to a female character. And and what I found cool about it was that she rode a bike and they actually put a, a broom, like she taped a broom to the side of her bike to make it look like she was flying a, <laughs> a, a broom. Nice. Yeah. And, and that is available um, on Amazon. I, there is no Ray Bradbury that is as good as reading what he wrote, but it's right. Oh, yeah. Good. 
Yeah, I bought that a few years ago, and I watch it uh, every Halloween now. Cool. A few tidbits. The Religion of the Ancient Celts by J.A. McCullough mentions Suetonius' work as a Roman historian who wrote about the Druids. Mm -hmm. And I do think this is where Ray got some of his more fanciful ideas on Samhain because those are not really historically correct. No. And and we can come back to that in a second. But I I do want to say that Suetonius is at least a historical figure. So when Ray writes, for Suetonius, that is correct for a historian, but there was no emperor by that name. Not that I've heard of, no. Uh, he did use the ravine and the house in Dandelion Wine and Farewell Summer, two of his books, so not just in Halloween Tree. He <laughs> did mention that Mount Shroud is death, and so, like, it's not in the book, but in his writings, when he's interviewed, mm-hmm. he wrote his own things, Mount Shroud's death. Not something you necessarily pick up on throughout the story until the end. And when he talks about, uh, I may come for you. B for death and B for bones. Yeah. (laughs) And he did say the Halloween tree is about the fear of loss of light and ultimate death. Yeah. Does kind of go into that a little bit. Other than that, my notes say, hey, Riff, let's talk about how great it is. What are your favorite parts? And then I have a little ending. Okay. So uh, would you like to start, my good sir? Ah, because I was thinking about this the other day. Favorite parts, favorite parts. Um, I've always... I've always liked the scene where they meet Mound Shroud. <laughs> I always thought that was really cool. Okay, so uh, we, were, we were talking about the, the Salwin section of the book. It's one of my favorite parts of the book because it's, it's the, the Celtic part, even though historically it's wrong. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's one of my least favorite parts of the book because, like we said, it's so truncated. It's so short it just felt like they didn't spend enough time there and it was, it was, they were there and then they moved on and it was just like, ah, uh, plus you know, the, the arrival of the Romans always pisses me off, but <laughs> are, are you talking about the Romans in general or when they convert? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Me too. Both. It can be two things. <laughs> it can. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, that's cause I was thinking there were two, Two parts that I would say, I, I don't know, it's not necessarily I don't like, but that were my least favorite parts. And I'm trying to think what the other one was that was my other least favorite part. Oh, here. You think about that, but I'll, I'll mention that. I agree with you. The, the Salwin Irish God, when I read it first, I thought it was awesome until I realized later that it was kind of, well, not accurate because there's yeah. no Irish God of the Dead called Salwin or Samhain. But it was still interesting to me, and and, and I think I, I think the other part that would be my least favorite, and, and it's still you know because I still love it, but probably least favorite, other least favorite part of the book is for the exact opposite reason that the the Samhain, the the Notre Dame section of the book, I think kind of goes on a little long. I, yeah. I think the Samhain section is kind of short, and the Notre Dame section is a little long. So. <laughs> Interesting. I always thought the uh, Day of the Dead in Mexico went just a wee bit. It it does, but I was going to say my two favorite, most favorite parts of the book are the underground sections oh, in Egypt. The catacombs, yeah. Yeah, in Egypt, when when they when they go into the the, the the tomb there, and the catacombs in Mexico during Day of the Dead. Those those are my two favorite 
parts of the book, definitely. I don't know if they're my two favorite. I do love the Day of the Dead. I will agree that the whole thing in Mexico probably, well, it, it, it feels longer than the other parts of the book. And I, it probably is the longest section of the book that deals with an area. I, I also think that section of the book, the, the, the Day of the Dead stuff, is some of the most emotional stuff in the book. And I think that's why I like it so much. Oh, it's really good. It just takes up a fair bit of the last part, and I wish they would yeah. have gone into more. Maybe skim that a little more, not much, mm-hmm. a wee bit, and then yeah. gone into the things, because I know they skipped some of the Irish stuff and the Greek stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. But but I get yeah, it. It, it, it would have been, yeah, it would have been nice to have a little bit more on the Greek stuff. That would have been really cool. But the, but the fact that they even went into, you know, that he even wrote about that, I thought was was nice. Yes, it was. I, I've I've always had a problem remembering the other characters. There's Mound Shroud, there's Tom, and there's Pipkin, and <laughs> and then there's there's a, there's a, those other guys. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's because I've read it so many times. Um, yeah, I, I but, mean, if I if, if I'd read it almost every year for thirty five years, I think I'd probably remember all of them too. But <laughs> even then, I don't remember them all. I mean, Henry Hank and Hackles. I remember Hackles because he is death, which is the Salwin part, yeah. which yeah. was really interesting to me. And yeah, yeah, there are what eight eight boys beyond Pipkin, who is. Mm-hmm. It, so I know we're glossing over some of the kids because we yeah. don't want to spoil. Right. What happens? Oh, what, Wally Bab. If I stop and think about it, I remember Wally. The gargoyle? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're all good, and, and they all have little bits, and they all have a specific point. And in the end, they all come back to the mansion, and they all go down to their level, and so they get a little more detail at the end. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to now say what who Pimpkin is, but, damn it, he is – He's a special character who is the main boy out of all of them, and yet he is the reason they have to go yeah. on it because he's not there. He is the boyest boy out of all the boys. <laughs> That's right. His shoes are scuffed and muddy and torn. His knees and his pants are messed up, and you can smell the spring, summer, and fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It's his his absence is, is felt. But that's the whole point of the story is they're trying to save him save him and learn about Halloween at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite part. I mean, I love the whole thing and the whole thing oh, yeah. as a teenager was like, oh, this is kick-ass. And even when I got older, I'm like, well, that's not accurate. It's still kick-ass. Oh, yeah. And seriously, who doesn't want there to actually be an Irish Samhain God of the Dead? <laughs> that's the thing. I swear, when I first started using Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry was still saying that. It, it did, yeah. It most definitely did. So even in you know the early to mid two thousands, the the whole thing of oh yes, there was an Irish god of the dead named Salwin or Sam Hain or you know whatever was still being put out there. It's just great and it's evocative and performative and fucking fantastic. You should read it. Oh, I have. Oh, you mean the uh, listeners? Yes, I mean, yes, I, mean I mean the listeners. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, they should. They should. They should read it because there's going to be a quiz. Are you ready, you fuckers? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't pass, you owe us a beer. If you do pass, you uh, owe us a beer. 
I was, was going to say, fail, fail, but it gets a win-win either way. <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you all, because you're still not paying for this, you bastards. That's right. You're getting free entertainment. Well, anyway. Yep. I agree with you. You should all read it. That's why we put this out first, so you would have time to read it before Halloween. It's like a 150-page book. Yeah, it's it's short. It's and it's a it's an easy read. But, you know, like I said, his his writing style is it's great, and that's part of what makes it so easy to read is his writing style. Oh, it is. It is snappy and quick, and you go through it and zip, bang, boom, and and out of 150 pages, there's 15 of them are Joe's artwork anyway. So yeah. Ah, what else do you have to offer on this particular story? Uh, I think that was about it. You know what you said about quotes? How would you like me to lead us out on a quote? Sure. And here's the writing that's so great. And finally, the last boy in all the town remaining alone on his veranda, Tom Skelton, in his skull and bones, having to go in, wanting to ring the last teardrop of his favorite holiday in all the year. And that's the quote I have, and that is why I stay up until at least 12.01 every Halloween night until <laughs> November 1st to ring every damn drop I can, Ray. This is our start for October, Halloween time. Share us on Facebook and Twitter and yep. wherever the crap, and listen to us on Podbean and iTunes and Spotify and Google and crap. Yeah. All right then. So until next time, we would like to wish you a happy Halloween tree, that ultimate death, from James and Jody. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next time. Yep. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Sorry, I just had to take a big bite of Snickers because I've not eaten most of the day and I'm kind of tanked. Arr. Damn it, I was taking a drink. I almost spit all over. <laughs> Federal of quarters in your pocket? Well, yes, because if you're actually looking at my cock, it'd be a roll of half dollars. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> uh, it's going to wait for the outtakes because that was totally unplanned. <laughs> now he's like, the first bit starts well, and then the last part squeezes. Really? Yeah. Well. yeah. Like Weird Al Yankovic and his accordion. <laughs> Not like Anne Rice, who I felt like I was walking through a river full of molasses on a cold day trying to read her books. It was announced in, was it June of this year? Uh, June or July, I think June. Yeah. Oh, well, it was my birthday. Oh, so oh, I was yeah. just making sure it was this year. They're going to, Warner Brothers is going to be doing a new film adaptation. All right. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'll start coughing. <laughs> I almost did. That's why I had to cut mine short. <laughs> Damn it. Now I have to think about things. You <laughs> Ray, when somebody asks you if you're a god, Ray, say yes. You say yes. Ray. <laughs> it's a different Ray. <laughs>